This is episode number two with fitness and model and sensation Kevin Kreider. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohi, and this is the Overcoming Odds podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Have you ever wondered what your life would be like if all of a sudden everything that you've ever worked for, whether it be in certain relationships or your career, were all gone? What if you had to start over from scratch once again? Would you be able to do it? Our guest today did exactly that. As his modeling and fitness careers began to take an unexpected turn, he decided to go on a journey that most of us wouldn't dare to take. To skate across the country from LA to New York with hopes of finding himself in the process. Without further ado, please welcome Kevin Kreider. Kevin. Hey, how's it going, Alec? Pretty good. How about yourself? Good, man. How are you doing? Uh, I was actually just going to say, um, I was in Philadelphia, let's see, last summer. And based on what I can recall, it's just a phenomenal city. How long have you been there? I appreciate it, man. I had been here since I was three years old. And I actually had like a five-year gap of being in New York and Asia for five years. And then I came back and it's just been home again since. Oh, wow. Was that, was that just traveling or were you living was, there doing work? Yeah, I was doing, I was pursuing the modeling and acting career for a little bit. Mm, interesting. Actually, I guess that is longer than a little bit, five years. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, so a uh, funny story, I was reading, you know, on your background and the things you were doing. And when I came across your story about the skateboard, how you went from LA to New York, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, last summer, I actually wanted to do a similar thing, except that I wanted to do it on a bike. Mm. And I was part of a program called Hatch House Ventures in uh, Newark, Delaware. And I was there for about two or three months. And when the program ended, I was like, you know what? I kind of want to do something that is going to put me outside of my comfort zone, will allow me to meet other people along the way, and just really was looking for a whole new experience in my life. And, um, so I started to plan out this trip that I would go from Newark to, um, somewhere in California. I didn't have the final destination set. I just figured I'm going to get on the bike and, you know, just start pedaling. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately it didn't turn out. I didn't end up pursuing it primarily because I've read you know, numerous articles on people that have done it. Mm-hmm. And then also I've read numerous articles that people did not make it. <laughs> so Wait, did not make it. Are yes. You? Some people have uh, apparently tried to go from, you know, one side of the country from New York um, or Maine and then go as far as California or stop halfway through. And one of the things that people kept saying was the weather. The weather mm-hmm. is a huge factor in something like this and if you don't have your stops planned out in advance then there's a likelihood that you may get stuck somewhere and just won't be able to get through the entire trip so i'm i'm curious to know how you managed to do that 
I had a thought that I would do this completely on my own and solo. And I actually ended up getting help along the way in the sense of I had a chase car driver from LA to Chicago. And from Chicago on, I was mostly solo. And the thing is that it was also really good timing because apparently the pilgrims, when they were going across the country as well, it was around the same time, which is April. Apparently April is like one of the best times to do a cross country trip because the weather's just more on point. The, the, you're not hitting until winter time. You can pretty much accomplish a cross country trip because the weather's just allows you to. Um, you know, obviously I ran into a tornado. Um, I think it was Nevada. Um, I can't remember exact state. I'm pretty sure it was Nevada um, at one point, and that kind of slows you down a little bit. But other than that, the weather was very agreeable. Wow. Now, did you have it all planned out as far as the stops you were going to make? Did you couch surf? How did you, how did you actually do this from the, I guess, logistics point? So the logistics point is I actually had a third party. So I had somebody, he was my manager at the time, um, reach out to a lot of the places ahead of time to say, hey, by the way, there's a skateboarder coming around. Would you be interested in housing him? And, you know, you get a lot of no's, obviously, I'm sure. I didn't handle that part. But the whole thing was set up in a sense of if there was, um, if I was in a city and there was somebody who was airbnb and will allow us to stay for free or a home, that would be great. Like, so for instance, we would even post up on Facebook once in a while, hey, I'm approaching this small city, this small town in Wyoming, anybody <laughs> around. And it actually happened where a couple and a family were like, yeah, we're around, come on by. And uh, I'd stop from the skateboard trip where I'd plan it out and be like, okay, we're only doing 15 miles today instead of like what I normally like to do, which was 30 to 40 and just have a break and have a meal and get to know people and recover from the skateboarding because doing 30, 40 miles a day sometimes can get really hard on the body. Oh, I could imagine so. No. I, I look very weathered, somebody said, and it definitely ages you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing is that you're doing something that's hopefully going to um, give you that age back. Yeah, in a way, totally. so totally. I already feel it. Nice, nice. Yeah. So I was reading it in the article. Actually, it said that there is a possibility for a film out of this. What's the, what would the purpose of that be? And I'm actually curious to know why did you do it in the first place? All right. So in the first place, I actually didn't even want to do a film documentary. Uh, I wanted this to be a pure soul-searching, reflective time, and because it was not like a Eat, Pray, Love thing. This is before Eat, Pray, Love even came out mm -hmm. that this trip happened, and my family members were a little concerned because, like you said, some people don't make it. Also, skateboarding, especially on a penny board, can be awfully dangerous, and. They said, we need to be able to, why don't we create this as a documentary and have somebody come along to, to film you and keep you safe just in case if you don't find a place to stay, you have a car to sleep in. And I agreed. And I just did it for the safety reasons. And also, too, I thought there'd be a lot of time for self-reflection. And I thought I'd be doing more vlogs, sharing my experience, sharing what I learned. 
And I got to tell you, I didn't actually learn anything while doing it. I learned more about it after I did it, actually. Um, it took a few years for that to really settle in. And somebody told me, let it process, let it process. You're not going to get all the answers right now. And I, um, it, it's not, it's not like you pray love because she got it like right at the end of the journey, you know, like her trip. Mm-hmm. And this was just part of it. And it's a very small part. And now what I am planning on doing and actually doing right now is using some of that footage from the skateboard trip to make a bigger documentary. And the documentary is my whole life story. It's my whole life journey so far from this. And the skateboard trip is a small part of it now, but it was integral. Um, it really kind of started this whole documentary making film that um, I'm working on with two other people right now. And we're currently starting to film in November. That's phenomenal. What are some um, just brief takeaways that you could share with us as far as what you learned from a trip like that? And how can someone else replicate maybe not the same trip of the same magnitude, but a trip where they may not know who they are and they're looking for that? What can they do? Right. So if somebody wants to do a trip like this, um, especially a skateboard trip, I would definitely say have somebody with you. And I actually don't really recommend something like this, tell you the truth. There's other ways <laughs> that you can actually get a little bit of getting to know yourself better and self-reflection and just doing a skateboard trip, asking people for help like that along the way, and just weathering yourself. I mean, there's all, all these other things to do. And a lot of it is really accessible now. Like, you know, find mentors, find, take a sabbatical, take two months off and go travel a little bit, right? The thing with me in my situation, though, is that I had no money. I wasn't generating any money because I, my modeling career was gone. My acting career was gone because I lost my hair. And it was going to be really a difficult road to actually develop a new career based off of a bald Asian guy now. Um, it's already hard enough, like at the time, being a model with hair and mm-hmm. being an Asian male, let alone having no hair and being an Asian male. Like I just wasn't working and it just wasn't happening. Um, so I had zero money. I had zero things. And I just said, you know what? I might as well just be a traveling homeless wanderer for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. And I got something from it, some cool footage, experience I'll never, ever, ever let go. Because it was just an amazing experience to have that freedom. And I realized I really needed that freedom of having nothing when I came back home to Philadelphia. Because when you have nothing, you literally can create whatever the hell you want afterwards. I agree. And what really gets sticky is when we start building all this stuff. We have all this stuff. We have so much to lose all of a sudden that we start to lose focus on what we really want to do in life, like what our passions are and everything, you know? And we can't really focus on what our purpose is or what we really want to do. But when you have zero and you have nothing, you can do what you want then. And it's it's absolutely free, actually. Um, so it's just something that was really interesting that I found out after the trip. I'm curious to know that, so, you know, you went into the trip open-minded. Yes. Um, you obviously, I'm assuming that you thought, okay, whatever comes out of it, that's what it's going to be. Why did you end up pursuing the two industries that you were in before after the trip? Why did I go back to it? Yes. 
Well, I got back into the fitness and health because I realized I wasn't healthy (laughs) and I wasn't doing my fitness. I was actually only just doing some yoga once in a while and some stretching and some jump roping for about four to five years. And I wasn't really focused on strength training. I wasn't focused on my nutrition. I was just unhealthy, obviously, because I lost my hair. So I got back into it because I was watching a video on this guy named Greg Plitt. And I don't know if you know who he is, but he was a fitness model. And he died in a tragic accident. Um, I think it was like 2000. I can't remember. I think it was 2014. But he died in a tragic accident. He's one of my role models because I watched one of his videos. And he literally was talking about how people want to change you to fit to what they want you to be. And he said, I was not the skinny fitness model. He was not good for certain brands. But because he kept true to himself, he was great and the perfect fit for other brands. Because he wasn't trying to fit his appearance and who he was to somebody else. And from that, he became the best fitness model ever. He became a successful actor even. He became a successful model, modeling for huge brands. And he's like, people would look at him and be like, he's too big. And he wasn't for these brands. It became such a powerful brand. He said he could do anything then. And I took that and I said, wow, that's exactly the opposite of what I thought. I thought I had to stop working out. I thought I had to st- like look a certain way to be mm-hmm. successful. And I realized the moment that I stuck true with my own fitness and my nutrition, the way I felt good and the way I wanted to look and the way I wanted to be, then I started modeling more. Like I actually started booking more jobs living in Philadelphia, not in New York. Then I started getting asked to train more people. So I trained them and worked on nutrition. Then I started working on myself as as a person because you know, obviously I believe I'm working the outer and the inner game simultaneously. And I just started to attract more in my life. And the thing is, though, when you start attracting more in your life, you start getting more fear because you're like, oh, my God, there's all these things. Like, which one's the right way? Which one's the right opportunity and stuff? And then I had to start blocking some stuff out. And I realized, man, maybe I should start setting acting to the side, you know, because it's taken up a lot of my time. And I really am more passionate about helping other people figure their way out, helping people with the nutrition to feel better, not just look better, but looking better is also Mm -hmm great side effect of it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Helping people actually get compliments and build their self-esteem and their self-image and feel masculine, man or woman, feel confident, man or woman. And it was just so fulfilling to me that I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay in this fitness and wellness realm. The modeling is just a byproduct of it because what I do allows me to do that. And it's also something I still enjoy in all honesty. I enjoy being on set. I enjoy meeting other models who are very like-minded like me in a sense of their entrepreneurs using modeling as a tool for their career, not as their career. And I think that's a huge difference between a lot of models that I meet. The ones that I'm attracted to now on set are the ones that use it as a tool to get to another place or to use it as an expression for their work or whatever career or purpose they have in life. That's awesome. Good for you. I was I was listening to a speaker um, a week or so ago. His name is Samian Sinek. I'm sure you've heard oh, of him. Yeah, and, start um, mm-hmm. and one of the things that he was mentioning was how our society has 
really built this system where you no longer, quote unquote, can be yourself. You have to be someone else. You have to be a projection of how I view you, how you view yourself, how your parents view you, how everyone else surrounding you views you. And, um, you know, it just brought up a very good point in my mind as I've been building this that, you know, I don't look at this and wake up the next morning and say, how can I be the number one in revenue? How, how can I be the number one in downloads and listeners and any of these things? Rather, I say, how can I be better than I was yesterday? And that's really the biggest difference is really putting yourself in that position and not comparing yourself to other brands and companies, especially with something with what you're doing. You know, there are a lot of um, fitness coaches and models, modeling especially, that's a very difficult industry to be in in general, based on my knowledge, um, that you can lose track of that and then fall into this constant comparison thing. Well, how can I be better than this person? How can I be better than them? Versus what can I do to be better than I was yesterday? Absolutely. And I, I'm i glad you brought that up because I actually had a purpose. I had a why when I was doing modeling. But it was the wrong why. And the reason why it was the wrong why is because it had an end game. So, for instance, the end game was the why was to be the first Asian model on like the cover of something, right? Or to be the first Hollywood Asian actor. And the problem with that is, and it, it was all for the same purpose, which is to change the stereotypes of Asian males. That's what it was. But what I realized with that is, when you have a finish line like that, what happens when somebody actually becomes that and it's not you? Mm-hmm. It's, there's an end game. And I realized that my why was coming from a very selfish place. There was so much self-benefit from it. There was a, an egotistical way to prove to myself and to other people things. And that's where my why was all jammed up and it was wrong. I mean, it was coming from a decent place, right? Like changing the stereotypes and to empower other Asian males, sure. But it was coming from something that wasn't sustainable. Because let's say I did even accomplish that and become the first Asian American Hollywood actor. What, what, what next? Mm-hmm. That's like saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get a six pack. <laughs> and I'm gonna be happy. Exactly. What happens, when, what happens when you get that six pack? You're fucked. Mm-hmm. There's no fulfillment. There's no happiness. You hit a goal. Good. Good for you. I was so good at hitting goals and accomplishing things that I forgot that there has to be a bigger meaning to it. There has to be a bigger purpose. So actually, Simon was a big factor in a lot of stuff. Like I was finding my why. I knew that wasn't it. And then what I realized is that I really did just want to help other people men especially feel masculine and confident in themselves despite social stereotypes and how people say you should act and behave so they can contribute to society with the with feeling limitless and to their fullest potential and that was like more fulfilling to me actually there's no end game to that there's always a man who doesn't feel very masculine there's always a female who feels insecure there's yeah. always people out there who feel, and the more people I can impact on that, the more fulfilled I felt and the stronger my why got. I'm, I'm curious to know, so when you first experienced this, when you had this realization that, okay, I'm pursuing this for the wrong reasons, how did you deal with 
this is just an assumption, but how did you deal with embarrassment and, you know, telling everyone that was close to you all of a sudden when they say, Kevin, what are you doing? Or how is X, Y, and Z going? And then you would have to step back and say, well, you know, that wasn't truly me. This this well, is no longer what represents who I am. How did you deal with something like that? See, that's that's a, that's a good question because it doesn't happen. It's not like one of those things where you turn a light on and off, right? It's kind mm-hmm. of like a slow dim, slow dim. Then you start questioning. Then you start denying it. Then you'll do everything to solidify what you thought was 20 years of work you were doing to fulfill this one need. And there's just like this why. And like you think you're doing the right thing and then you get in denial. And then all of a sudden there's just so much denial. You hit a rock bottom with it. You're just like, fudge, I can't do this anymore. I can't lie being who I am, what it, what it is I really want to do. And, you know, you start operating from a different place afterwards. And when I mean operating, your intentions are different. And I think people can sense that when it's different. And then that just reinforces like, oh, I'm on the right path, right? And that in itself, I didn't even have to come out outwardly and just say it. I just started doing because here's the thing. I think talk is cheap anyway. Mm-hmm. It's doing instead of just proclaiming it out into the Facebook world and say, my why is different. I've changed. <laughs> I just started behaving differently. I started doing things differently. The old ways weren't working, so I changed it up. And it took a lot of work. Like, I'm not going to lie. It was painful at times. I was depressed. I was anxious. I was, I was, uh, I was lonely at times. I was confused. I mean, there's still confusion that happens, but it's different confusion. It's more meaningful confusion. It's actually good confusion. Whereas I was just confused before. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of like, well, what if I'm doing this the wrong way? Mm -hmm. This happens and that happens. And this person, and it's like, you know what? When you start operating from a good why, just like Simon says, things just start happening. And now it's just so different. And it's just, it's not something I had to come out and just say. It just started being. You and I have a good understanding of how we've formed our whys. Um, Obviously, you know, they're different, but in a way similar. Do you have any recommendations for people who maybe are searching for that purpose or trying to define certain elements of themselves as far as you know, what type of questions can they start asking themselves? What can they do in their behavior to change their actions? Like, what, what are the first steps that they can take? Uh, it takes a lot of self-realization, first of all. And this is something that's not for everyone, obviously. But I think it's for everyone in a sense of, let me back up for a sec. It takes a lot of self-realization. And if you're willing to go through a lot of ups and downs, it's well worth the reward afterwards. I would also start reflecting and finding out the things that you need the most, right? So what Mm -hmm. I mean you need the most, is it the way you feel? Is it your self-confidence? Is it business? Is it dating? Is it love, right? And find out, it could be whatever, you know? I'm not judging what it is. But whatever it is that you need it the most is what you were probably meant to do. And I don't know if Simon said that or not, but that's what I found is true for me. Like when I was younger growing up, I really wanted to feel like a man. I wanted to be confident. 
but I just couldn't. I wanted to be masculine, seen as masculine. I wanted to feel masculine. I wanted to be masculine. And it just seemed like I couldn't. But then I found a way. And there's other people out there like you. Like, you're not alone in whatever the way you feel or you feel like you're lacking or need. Like, you're not alone. There's 7 billion people in this world. To think that you're the only person feeling like that is ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, there's only like, what, 20,000 emotions in the English language? There's got to be people out there with 7 billion. Just do the math. It's very highly unlikely you're alone. (laughs) Do you think it's possible to live without a why? Because, you know, like Simon had said um, in in the episode that I was watching, he was talking about leaders and how, you know, everyone wants to be a leader, but not everyone should be a leader. Yes. I'm curious, you know, with the why aspect, everyone wants to have the why. And in the way I think everyone should have a why, obviously it's got to be different. It, it doesn't have to be different. It can be the same as some people. The implementation is going to be different, but do you think it's possible for people to not have the why and still live the lives they do? I think people who want to live fulfilled, happy, and have like an empowering life have a why. We're searching for a why, right? I think the people who are miserable, angry, who are part of the problem, not the solution, operate from not a why, not having a why. And it's very easy, um, I think, to spot somebody who doesn't have a higher purpose. Um, They're very miserable. They're very tired all the time. They, all they do is think about themselves, right? What, me, 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 what can I get, right? Those are the types of people that don't have a real reason or haven't solidified it yet or don't know they need one. Um, and it's tricky because like sometimes like this me, me, me attitudes, that's just the way we're brought up. But I find that not everybody is fortunate enough to have enough pain to really jump themselves into having a why. Hmm. That's a good point. It's a very good point. Now I want to jump back a little bit and go to your background because I'm a I'm a big believer that you know your past in a way defines who you are today in some elements not not always but um based on the article I read it was talking about your upbringing with an Irish German parents and the impact they've had on you tell us a little bit about that as far as just the overall experience, where you were brought up, where we, where you were born, the impact that your adoptive parents had on you. When I came to America, I was three years old uh, from Seoul, Korea. And just like a lot of Korean adoptees, some of their first moments are actually coming to the country. Because it's a very, apparently, it's, they say it's a very tra- traumatic experience because it's new, foreign, you're really afraid. Something just clicks in you. And I have to say, I don't have any negative thoughts about being adopted. Uh, My parents didn't make me feel different. If anything, my parents made me feel really loved. And that's why I have such a good relationship with my parents. It was the culture around me, the people, my peers, uh, the TV I watched, the movies I watched, the magazines I was exposed to that made me very 
self-conscious and made it very obvious that I was different, Mm -hmm. that I was Asian, that maybe I was a joke because every time kids would make those squinty eyes and start laughing, it was at me. It wasn't in good fun or humor. Some people would call it bullying because it made them feel better and it made somebody else feel worse. That's bullying, you know? And uh, I learned very quickly that I was different. And I think my parents did the best they could and they didn't really understand it so much. All they did was just reinforce that, you know, kids are mean, you're a good person. And they always taught me to always be a good person. But what ended up happening for me is that I was so tired being a good person and getting hurt all the time that the moment that I got enough pain to actually get out of it, to start working out, feeling more confident, that's how I got so extreme in the bodybuilding, that I felt good and people started looking towards me for advice on looking better, being more confident. And that just totally switched it. That's awesome. I don't know. I don't How, know if that makes sense or answers. No, question, no, it but. does. Um, you bring up actually a very good point regarding role models. What defines a good role model for you? A good role model for me is absolutely somebody who walks the walk and talks the talk. There's way too many people out there just regurgitating famous quotes, regurgitates famous things that have happened, but they don't do a single thing they said. They don't do anything. They don't take action. They lie. They lie to make themselves feel better and to look better. And it's like a good role model is honest and authentic and as true as possible as they can be and actually have been through an experience. So, for instance, I can't teach somebody how to make a million dollars in a year because I've never done it. But there's too many people out there who are coaching people, telling people how to do it, but they've never done it themselves. Yeah. I mean, I see it in the personal training world, right? There's an online personal training business. Oh, we're going to teach you how to be an online trainer. Da 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 da. We're going to make this much. You're going to do that. And this person never trained someone online in their entire life. That is not a good role model. Well, in a way, I I completely agree with you. Um, I started to notice that quite a bit ago with all of these people in these different industries who are quote unquote experts. But really, you know, if you break it down, the way they're making that million or whatever the figure is, is through you. They're building it by selling the concept to you. And then once you join, they get the next person, the person after that. Um, but yeah, I, I believe that a lot of people in this space, especially who are starting off, there's just no way they can have it. Yeah. And guess what? You hear it all the time. And this is false, too. Everyone's a winner, right? Mm. Look, I, there's, not everybody's a winner. When I mean not everybody's a winner, is like not everyone's going to be a millionaire. Not everyone's going to be a famous actor. Not everyone's going to be the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And not everyone needs that. That's the most important part. I think exactly. people, people need to understand that you know, m- money, sure, it can give you certain things. It can give you financial freedom to go do X, Y, and Z. But at the same time, do you truly need money? Like in your case, you know, when you went on your journey just skateboarding, I mean, you didn't need a million dollars to make that happen. You just needed yourself. You needed a good, reliable board. 
and someone who can watch your back, which I also think that if you really wanted to, you could have said, hey, I don't need that. I'll figure that out as I go. You know, as yeah. long as I have a phone, I can always find people on, like you said, Airbnb, Couchsurf, all these diff different platforms who are already willing to help. You know, their intention is, obviously, it's for some of them, it's to make a form of passive income. But I also know so many people who are just doing it out of the goodness of their heart to help others along the way because they've been helped in the same way. Yes, and that that I think is a very good mentor. And that is something that I think is very valuable because at the moment that I got mentors in my life is when I started to excel. And that was huge because I always thought I was, you know, you see it in movies all the time. Rambo, he kills a million people. He did it by himself. <laughs> see all these winnings and like the thing is we get influenced to think that we all are winners by ourselves and even the great Arnold Schwarzenegger says nobody does it by themselves mm -hmm. and if you say I did this all by myself you're an asshole because who's the person that got you that role who's the person that gave you that chance who's the person that mentored you are you telling me you've never read a book before and been influenced by it you've never seen somebody speak and been influenced by it you didn't do this yourself mm-hmm all we're doing is just sharing a message and you either take the message and you become the message yourself and then you share the message more or you don't. The thing is though, to think that we do it by ourselves is so ridiculous. And I fell for it. I thought I could do this by myself and I stopped listening to people for a long time and I got cocky and then I wasn't willing to learn anything new. And the moment that I realized like, and it took, it took literally the skateboard trip for me to realize that, I need to learn better. I need to learn. I need, I need mentorship. I need to actually be around people who know what the heck they're talking about. I am not, I am no good by myself. Yeah. I'm, I'm blown away by your, um, just positivity and, you know, perspective on life that you have. How do you, how do you maintain it? How do you keep going with the same energy levels? I mean, obviously, you know, every situation is different. You're going to have the, the good and the bad, but it sounds like, majority of the time just based on this conversation alone you're able to stay upbeat and focus on you know just the positive things in life how do you do that of course there's down days right mm -hmm. I mean, obviously when i have down days that's where the people that you surround yourself matters the most i didn't have people to surround myself when i had down days so almost every day was a down day but the moment that I started to hang out with the people that had what I wanted, the people that had the positive attitude, but the people who could call me on all my bullshit too, and the people who could tell me things to do to get my mind out of myself, that's when life started to change. Because then when I was having something, or I need to run something by someone because I think it's a great idea, then I had somebody to bounce my ideas off of, or like really mentor me, who's been there before. And also, too, it's just really taking care of yourself. I mean, I would actually do things to not take care of myself because I thought other people had to come first. Mm -hmm. Their well-being had to come first. No, my well-being comes first. Just like putting an oxygen mask on yourself first before you put it on somebody else comes first, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the opposite way around. You're no good if you're dead. Right. And that's what I realized that I, my well-being, my spirituality, my health, my family, my well-being had to come first. And nobody was going to take that away from me because 
at the end of the day, that's the only thing I can control anyway. And when I started doing that, that was self-love. That was real self-love. I didn't know what self-love was until I started doing that. And when that started to happen, yeah, positive things just start happening. But I'm also not one of those people that say, like, denial. Like, if something's happening to you, something's really happening to you. What I mean by that is, like, you hear from all these other life coaches and stuff. But, like, if you're in, if you're in poison ivy, you can't deny you're in poison ivy and you're allergic to it. <laughs> you have to accept it first and then you can get the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. What we end up doing is we're allergic to poison ivy. Then we just sit in it and do the secret. And I'm doing air quotes as I say that. Think positive thoughts that you're not in there. It's mm-hmm. all about the brain. No, it's about knowing where you are and finding a way to get out of there. Instead, I would just sit in the poison ivy and just wonder, what the fuck? Nothing's working. I, I don't know if I can say that on that. But what the heck? Nothing's working. Why? <laughs> still itching and getting reactions like this. Well, it's because you denied your own poison ivy and you're sitting in it and you're not, and you're not getting out of it. You're hoping something happens, somebody rescues you, or you're, you know, the laws of thermodynamics and the laws of gravity and the universe doesn't apply to you because you're positive thinking. Mm-hmm. Take action, get out of it. And the more actions you take, the easier it becomes. And it's not easy at first. What's, it a, easier. what's a typical routine um, just on a daily basis for you that would count as taking care of yourself. One of the things I did was, you know, I read your article, um, I forget the title off the top of my head, but it was talking about mindfulness, spirituality, all these different elements, which, you know, honestly do work because I practice a lot of those. So I can tell you with confidence that those things um, do have an impact. What do you go through, you know, starting as soon as you wake up and then right before you go to bed? What what are those things that you do to uplift yourself, to love yourself, to make yourself feel in the way that you envision yourself being? Well, what I'll do first is I will always, almost always, set 45 minutes to myself. And that's where the self-care comes in, right? And I always tell people, if you don't have 45 minutes, then maybe start off with 20. But if you don't have 20, then you really need to... Rethink your priorities because the first thing you do in the morning is the only thing you can control in the day. I always say this, Mm. be rigid in your morning routines and your evening routines so you can be flexible during the day. And the reason why is because that's really taking care of yourself. That's taking control of the things you can control, which is getting yourself in your positive mindset that you want. So what I'll do first thing when I get up, I will literally – Set off the coffee because I love coffee first thing in the morning. Um, so I'll start making it. I'll jump in the shower. It's usually a cold shower for about a minute or two just to get my nerves going and revving. I don't know if it's actually going to help you with longevity and stuff, but I find that it just sparks me up. In the, you know, Any cold shower is going to make you more alert. And then I'll sit in my meditation. I'll meditate for 10, 20 minutes. I will then pray because that's what I do. I love praying Um, first thing in the morning, just hoping for the best and to wish my family, my friends and loved ones um, the same things that, you know, my higher power wants for me or whatever you believe in the universe. And then I like to start journaling for about five, 10 minutes. It's usually just free thought writing. 
It's called morning pages. And then I'll drink my coffee and then I'll set my intentions for the day. Like what are the things that I want to accomplish? What are the things that I want to basically manifest for the day? And then I'll send it out there. And then I will, five time, I'll do some push-ups just to get my body going a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I'm good for the day. I am literally good for the day. I'm done in like 35, 40 minutes. Then I come do my thing for the rest of the day. And then at night, I always try to read a book for about five or 10 minutes at least. I'll sit on my couch. I'll start listening to some podcasts on things that I'm really interested in at the time. Usually it's fitness or business or spirituality. Um, I listen to The Power of Now before I go to bed. It's phenomenal book. Phenomenal, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I listen to that as I go to sleep. And I set the timer off, though, for 15 to 30 minutes. So it's never going all, all night. But I'll listen to bits and pieces of it. And each time before I go to sleep, I'll catch just one sentence that kind of just sets me off to sleep then. Interesting. I believe that actually really helps, you know, put things into my brain, into my subconscious as I go to sleep, which is great. It's a very interesting way of doing it because um, I've heard both sides. I've heard people do a similar routine to what you do. And then I've also heard people do it the opposite way. So right before they go to bed, you know, that's when they create their list of things to do. Mm. And when they get up, supposedly the thinking is that it motivates them to know what their first thing is, what their second and third. And then from there, they have this extra boost of um, energy just to go after those things. But in, yeah. in your case, it's more so you're using that time as, you know, in a way to relax, but you're constantly learning. But you're learning in a way so that you're not thinking about the tasks that you have the following day yeah so i think it actually depends on your personality type from what i'm coming from because i'm a, I'm a very type a type of person um type a does not mean an asshole even though you can come across, <laughs> even though you can come across like an asshole sometimes but people mm-hmm. who are type a are direct they're motivated they're usually in leadership roles they're driven and i'm not saying this to compliment myself i'm just saying this is what type a's do but the problem with type A's that I find, and for myself, is that our minds don't stop running. So instead of giving my subconscious more crap it can process at night, I try to presently stay focused because the day is over. There's absolutely nothing I can do. It has to wait for tomorrow anyway. And what I like to do is send positive and meaningful messages of being present in the subconscious because being in the present is actually when you get most of your answers anyway. Yeah. So I think it just sets me up for the next day to constantly be more present in my daily life, in my problem solving, in my relationships, what people are saying, than it does if I do it in the morning. Hmm. Tell us a little bit about your fitness program. So First question I would have is, when did you know that you can turn this into a source of income and can fully start pursuing it? And when you did, did you have a side job that was supplementing that process? Or did you say, hey, I know I can pull this off. I'm going to go for it. Well, there's two parts of my fitness 
business journey. The one is right out of college, and I got a mentorship with a personal training company. And they were able to give me some clients right away, and I got to have practice. It was kind of like a paid internship. And after a while, we split ways, and I started building my own book. I had momentum, and then I started training. And then I realized I can make a lucrative amount. Uh, when I mean lucrative, to me, it was just six figures back then. But like, it's still a lot of money, don't get me wrong. But what ended up happening is that I, had to t- I had to trade my time for another person. So I mm. trade my time for you, and you might not even show up. And the thing is, though, like that to me, when people didn't show up, what didn't piss me off was the money, even though I charged you. It was, why didn't you show up to change your life? Mm-hmm. That really upset me. I'm like, you're paying for this. It's yes, you're paying for my time, but like my time is valuable too, and I want to give this to you. So you've you paid for it, you know, and that would upset me a little bit, and then that got frustrating, and then that's when I actually went to the modeling, and then the modeling didn't fulfill me, right? But the thing is, when I got back into my second part of fitness, I used modeling to support me. It was the opposite then, mm-hmm. to support me as I restarted my fitness business. And then I am still pursuing that online platform that I have, and it's going pretty well for a first year. I mean, it's just been literally 13 months as of September. You know, it's been 12 months as of September. It's October now, so we're heading into 13 months, and it's doing well. It's uh, it's it's going, and it's helping people, and people are getting changes, and people are feeling better. And my online coaching, like my online coaching, people have been actually having dramatic weight loss and changes and feeling better and not being bullied anymore, and not going to the hospital, and changing other people's lives and perspectives on fitness. And it's just been, that brings me so much joy in a sense that I'm like, I can't go back to my old ways. I can't go back to my old ways of just modeling. Cause that didn't help other people. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm very curious to know. So obviously, impact is a huge component of your life and how you impact others. Um, I know that you have also been involved within the adoption community quite a bit. What is the purpose there? As far as what type of impact are you trying to create within people? For the Korean adoption. I definitely, the kind of impact that I want to create for them is to realize that there's a lot of Korean adoptees who blame being adopted for their problems. And I could have easily gone down that route. I wanted to make the impact for them to be able to change their own lives and realize that they actually were blessed to have a second chance. And whatever they think could have happened or would have happened didn't happen and this is their life now. And to realize that they, they, they have a gift right now. And if they don't do something with it, they're wasting it. And not many people get two chances at life like that, like being adopted. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to let them know that they're also not alone. Because that was the biggest thing for me. Like I was lonely a lot. And I thought I was the only one with these problems. And I was the only person going through this shit. And it turns out I'm not. Not even close. And my problems were not unique. And my problems are solvable. There is a, a there is a, <laughs> I hate to use this word, there is a solution. <laughs> and um, most people don't think there is. 
And I just want, that's what the kind of impact that I want to make for them. And also too, the feeling of not being sexy as an Asian male or feeling attractive or as attractive or as much of a man or feeling limited because you're Asian. I understand that. Like I was there. And a lot of them don't have to settle for second best. A lot of them don't have to settle for meaningless jobs. A lot of them don't have to settle for a wife that they just like because it's the only one that they'll get in a long time, you know? <laughs> like they don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know that, so when you first figured that out, when you first realized that, you know, you're not alone throughout this entire process, what did you do? The reason why I asked that is so that those who are listening who may be in a similar position, what can they start doing right now, right this moment, that would ultimately, quote unquote, solve that problem? I started saying yes. I started saying yes to everything. And when I mean yes to everything, there was a woman who was basically saying like, hey, do you want to make a video together to do talk about this? I was like, yes. Somebody said, hey, by the way, do you want to join this Asian American networking event? I said, yes. Hey, do you want to come speak at this event? But yes. And then all these yeses built into so much momentum that it started to just come to me. Like, so for instance, I was like, yes, I will be involved with the Korean American adoption. Yes, I can speak in front of this group. Yes, I will go to this event. Yes, I will create this documentary all of a sudden. And all of that all of a sudden becomes directed towards one purpose, which is great. You know, it, become, it becomes blended in like your life mm -hmm. starts to become this one purpose and things just start showing up. And then you can start saying no eventually to the things that don't fulfill you or make you a better purposeful person. And that's what I found was so powerful saying yes in the beginning because we're so used to saying no, but then we have nothing to do, right? And we're like, well, why doesn't any, why, <laughs> why is my schedule empty? It's because you said no to everything. Mm -hmm. Eventually you have to start saying no, but get to that point first. You're sprinting before you're even crawling. How often did you, would you say you had to create your yeses? So I'm sure, you know, as you were starting off, it could be different, but, um, I'm sure you didn't get approached by 10 or 20 people. It says, hey, would you like to do this? Would you like to do that? You know, come speak, come do an interview. How, how did you create those yeses? Right. So I created those yeses by saying yes to myself first. Yes to I will put myself out there. Yes, I will start becoming a better person. Yes, I will bring value to somebody else. Like, for instance, I started putting it out there. I said, I want to start doing this. Is there anybody who can help? And not on Facebook. It was my group of people, my mm -hmm. friends, my mentors, everything. Somebody said, hey, come out to lunch with me. I said yes to it. He's now my mentor. Wow. <laughs> and it's just, it's just crazy when you start saying yes. But then that's the thing. We, start, we stop saying yes because things aren't working well. Just like when you get a six-pack, you stop watching what you eat more you start relaxing more right and then mm -hmm. you start going backwards but there's always this fine dance then 
of going back and forth and back and forth. And the difference is you don't want to go extreme and go on that other side of the seesaw all of a sudden and just go overweight and obese again, right? Mm-hmm. And then you don't want to go all of a sudden like, screw this, my mentor sucks, life sucks, no to everything. <laughs> you don't want to get to that point. And that's where people call balance. It's a balancing act, but there's no such thing as real balance at the end of it. How do you how do you view your goals? What is the ending point? I'm I'm very curious to know that because you know you, you mentioned the fact that in a way everything that you're doing is the long run. There's no yeah. e- there's no immediate endpoint. There is so. With that said, how are you able to keep going, knowing that you know <clears throat> X, Y, and Z may take three or four or five or ten years to get there? And yet every single day you go in with the same motivation and the same mindset. The end goal is if everybody in the world feels absolutely confident in themselves, has a healthy lifestyle, and is operating from a place of not just love, but just a purpose. And the moment that happens, that's the end goal for me. And for me, I know that I'll die someday, but if I can sit on my bed and say I've helped as many people as I could, even though there's more. And I'll be fulfilled, I'll be happy. But the thing is, what I'd like to see before that happens is to have a system or a culture or a group of people or my own brand be able to sustain through my death, obviously, to be able to keep carrying that message and to be able to mentor more people because there's always going to be people that want that. Wow. Um, what's the one thing that you would like all of our listeners to take away from our talk today? I'd like everybody to list uh, the listeners. That's this is gonna be some tough love, <laughs> but you're not that great where you can do it by yourself. You need help. You need help. You need help from other people. And the moment you can start saying yes to help and to start saying yes to yourself, like I said before, then I think from my experience, what happened to me and what happens to other people, miracles start happening. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. Feel free to share it with friends or family or anyone else who may be interested in listening to what Kevin had to share with us today. Also, Get involved by following us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for spending some time with us today. We hope you'll be joining us next week. Thank you.